THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 553 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, Nerds. I am Matt Baum. Wow. Yeah, I like my name is Matt Baum. My name is Matt Baum. Okay. Yeah. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick in this week's first shot in the War on Christmas episode. We're catching up on two damn weeks of new comics with yet another giant-sized ludicrous speed round. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're rapping about our must-read picks for next week. And finally, this week was loaded with weird team-ups, so it only seemed right to hit you with the definitive THN Top 5 Weird Team-Up Countdown! But before we instantly start fighting the peeps, we'll be teaming up with later to take down an even bigger foe. We better talk about this week's Nerd News. From the Double J desk, J.J. Abrams has had discussions with Warner Brothers Pictures about a new Superman film. This comes according to Variety. Abrams, who has become known for revitalizing fan-favorite franchises, accidental alliteration there, recently signed a multi-year first-look deal between WB and his company, Bad Robot. The Hollywood trades were already speculating that Abrams might be a fit for DC film projects before Variety's report. Now, here's something you might not recall. Okay. Yeah. Back in tw- back in 2002, when Abrams was still relatively unknown, Warner Brothers hired him to write a Superman film reboot, which ended up being titled Superman Flyby. Oh, God, that's terrible. The studio, <laughs> it gets way worse. The studio courted Mick G and Brett Ratner to direct. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. And they even had auditioned the future Superman and Lois, uh, Henry Cavill and Amy Adams. But really? ultimately, the project was shelved. In favor of Brian Singer's Superman Returns. Probably for the best. Now, let's be honest. I know we're pretty excited about J.J. Abrams these days, but let's read the official synopsis of Superman Flyby. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) This is from the 2002 script. Superman Flyby was an origin story that included Krypton besieged by a civil war between Jor-El and his corrupt brother, Katazor. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Before Katazor sentences Jor-El to prison, Kal-El is launched to Earth to fulfill a prophecy. Adopted by Jonathan and Martha Kent, he forms a romance with Lois Lane in the Daily Planet. However, Lois is more concerned with exposing Lex Luthor, who was written as a government agent obsessed with UFO phenomena. Clark reveals himself to the world as Superman, bringing Katazor's son, Tizor, and three other Kryptonians to Earth. Superman is defeated and killed and visits Jor-El who had committed suicide on Krypton <laughs> while in prison. Man, this just gets better and better. In Kryptonian heaven. <laughs> Kryptonian heaven. Uh, resurrected, Ooh. he returns to Earth and Ooh. defeats the four Kryptonians and the script ends with Superman off to Krypton leaving a cliffhanger for a sequel. And that is Superman from the man that brought you the original Charlie's Angels movie. And, well, and the Chuck TV series. <laughs> who, Mick G? Mick G, yeah. Did Mick G do Yeah, he was a producer and he directed the pilot. Huh. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, this is just JJ's script. It never even got that far. Right, right, right. <laughs> this sounds terrible. Yeah. Just, I would prefer the Will Smith Superman in the yeah, nano suit. Yeah, in the nano suit, yeah. Or the, or the one that had Chris Rock as Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> so the rumors are that JJ Abrams is kicking around uh, Michael B. Jordan. No, Michael B. Jordan was separately in talks. Uh, he had a, he had his own pitch for his vision of Superman. Oh, I thought he was tied to this. I thought no, he, no, no. Oh, okay. it was two different two different things. So but I heard that as G., well. The, the Michael B. Jordan stuff happened like over a year ago. And meanwhile, in the background, somebody leaked 
like some, I don't know if it's a report or notes or a memo or whatever of DC basically saying Warner brothers, not DC Warner brothers saying, yeah, we just don't know how to make Superman relevant. Right. Make people care about him. An immigrant who fights which, a megalomaniacal <laughs> billionaire that becomes president, which led to a million tweets that said just that. <laughs> it's not hard. How can we possibly relate? <laughs> I mean, I like to think that 2019 JJ Abrams is in a better place and maybe he would have a firmer grasp. And on what makes Superman Superman. I don't think J.J. Abrams came to them with the pitch. I think they came to him with the pitch and Maybe. probably said, write the script. I don't know. Because he's a writer. And typically the producers and the directors come up with that crap. Mm. And they hire writers to flesh stuff out. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So I like to pin this on Mick G. I mean, and say fuck you. And by the way, you're a white guy that calls yourself Mick G. Okay, again, Mick (laughs) Mick G was only in talks. He never actually got that far. Fuck him. (laughs) Uh, That's all I have to say about that. I don't know. I don't know about. I don't know about this. Uh, This 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 script though, it came from a time where Warner Brothers was just like, yeah, uh, he's uh, he's Nicolas Cage. And he wears like a ceramic outfit. Right. And he's got long hair. Like if you think what Warner Brothers just said recently about like, how do we make it more relevant? Oh my God. Back in the day, they didn't want to make it relevant at all. No, They had better ideas. Uh, uh, Now we've got, (laughs) we've got Kevin Smith writing a treatment and, uh, uh, he's putting a giant mechanical spider in it, but since the movie didn't get scrapped, Oof. they gave the mechanical spider to the Wild Wild West movie. Right. Now that wasn't Kevin. That's Smith's a true story. Either. They came to him, and yeah. they, who was the director? It was uh the same guy that directed Wild Wild West. Who was it? Was it? Yeah, same guy. I and, thought Kevin Smith was gonna. No, it. no, he was just writing it. Um, it was the same guy that directed Wild Wild West, who, by the way, had giant spiders in like his last three movies. Oh, Barry. Uh, no. Barry Sonnenfeld of, of uh, Men in Black. Yes, Barry Sonnenfeld. So, like, they came, they wanted a giant spider in the story, basically. Just, I don't understand. So weird. I don't understand why these people, like, on the TV side of things, this is the other, these are the other jokes I saw, is like, Warner Brothers movies, we just can't figure out Superman. Meanwhile, Warner Brothers TV is like, we've got three versions of Superman, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, totally. And they're all great. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah. Here's Superman freaking out. Yeah. Here's Superman doing this. Old man Superman said, stop it, baby Superman. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yes. They don't care. And just come on, you guys. Get yeah. your head out of your ass. And just do it. Just do it. Superman. From the Red Room desk, Marvel Studios has released the first trailer for the Black Widow solo film. Due to hit theaters on May 1st, 2020, the trailer features our first looks at the Taskmaster in action. David Harbour as the Red Guardian, Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova, and of course, ScarJo as the title character. Sporting several action figure friendly costumes, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> William Hurt will return as Thunderbolt Ross, and Robert Downey Jr. is rumored to return as Tony Stark. Rachel Weiss will appear as Melina Vostokov, a character who becomes the assassin known as Iron Maiden in the comics. Joey, are you as disappointed in Marvel as I am for not putting Ursa Major in this film? Cowards! Okay. First of all, okay. Trailer he's looks, a mutant. Yeah, he's a mutant. So maybe Disney's got him. Maybe they're saving him for X-Men stuff. Maybe they're saving him for Black Widow 2. <laughs> I hope it's for the X-Men. <laughs> Uh, this it looked fantastic. Yeah, I mean they they know what they're doing by now. I'm not worried at all. Nah. So let's just talk about the little things we saw that we liked. Uh, I am 100 percent there for David Harbor as the Red Guardian. Totally, he looks great. It's so he looks great. Great. <laughs> and he's kind of portly and he yeah, smashes yeah, himself yeah. into his costume. Um. So there's this um there's this kind of family theme. Uh, she calls Yelena Belova sis. Yeah. David Harbour calls them a family. I don't think they're actually related. No, I, I think, think they're like a, yeah. a found family. Right. Right. Um, uh, I don't know what's going on with Rachel Weiss. Uh, she's seen in the trailer just wearing like a normal looking black widow. Get I up. I think she's probably just hooked up with yeah. the Red Guardian. They, live they might together. just be using familiar names. Yeah, or whatever. Um, I would have never guessed that. The manically depressed girl from Midsummer could whoop ass like yeah, this. she's tough <laughs> as hell. Like, Holy shit! <laughs> so I mean, they're already giving us like, hey, uh, Phase Five Black Widow. Here you go. Yeah, I'm wondering if the credit cookies set up a, a backdoor for Scarlet to return if she ever wants to. Well, I mean, she's in. We still have that theory that she's in the Soul Gym. That's what I'm saying. They that, just need so. to spell it out. Yeah. No, I agree. And we'll see. I did not love the way the Taskmaster looks. I think that one, <laughs> I'm not saying I want him to have a skull face, 
But I mean, you, he does have a skull face. It just looks like a motorcycle helmet. You could have put him in a hood. Yeah. You know? I mean, if yeah. nothing else, I was actually talking about this with uh, Fred Van Lenty on Twitter. Oh, and he was like, you know, everybody draws him with a skull face. And I think they were too afraid to go full on skull, which is fine. I get that. I mean, they fucking gave us crossbones. What's the holdup? Well, Give us task. I mean, crossbones just had like the mouthpiece or whatever, you know. I think he, had, he just had a helmet that was painted to look yeah. like a skull. I don't know. I wish they would have gone a little more skull with it. I wish they would have gone a little bit more pirate boots and cape. And also, like, <laughs> <laughs> everybody else has the, these really cool costumes on and stuff like that. And I feel like they, they give the bad guys kind of short shrift in all these movies, aside from Thanos and the gang who are outer space. But I mean, it's sure. like the earth based bad guys. I need They're them not to, as flashy. Yeah. I would like them to look a little more super villain. They yeah, all just kind of look, agree. they kind of look tactical military. I agree. I agree know? with you. And that's fine. Yeah, well, yes, I, I totally agree. And like, I understand it's like, we're dealing with the, uh, kind of the the spy corner of the right. Marvel universe. Yes, and so what we and again, I'm not saying he shows up with the yellow bandoliers sure, and the yellow right. cape and the yes, skulls. Of course you know, not. But you could go with little. Oh uh, yeah, like closer. so. You know, that's but yeah, and that's what gets us like Captain America: The Winter Soldier. We get Batroc the Leaper, right? Sort of. It was just some dude. He just is kind of wearing a little bit of purple. There is literally no reason you couldn't put that dude in Batroc's mask. They could have sure. just done the mask. I yeah. love it. I would yeah, love it. I agree. I think I wish the villains were a little bit flashier yeah. as well. Um, but I think this trailer looks good. It's my only complaint. Yeah. Only complaint is the Taskmaster. Yeah. I think this looks great. And I, I'm glad that she's finally getting a solo movie. Yeah. Uh, and it's introducing a lot of characters that I really love. I will be curious to see if Elena does become your new black. Widow. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, that'd be cool, too. I don't know. We'll see. And th- what I think is interesting is that they are putting a lot of confidence in this movie. They're giving it the prime spot. They're giving it the free comic book day weekend spot. Yeah, that's true. So they're expecting big things from this. And I hope, I hope that audiences go for it. I honestly don't think that's a problem anymore. I think you say Marvel people go. Yeah. You're it probably. doesn't matter. Ant-Man has had two sure. movies yeah. and has a third one being made right now. You're probably the right. Black Widow is an Avenger. She will be fine. You're probably right. Back together again. You got fat. This just in from the Batcave, incoming Batman writer. The Black Batcave. This is specifically the Black Bat. No, it's still the White Batcave. <laughs> incoming Batman writer James Tinian the Four has revealed that Lucius Fox will play a key part of his run. In addition to being CEO of Wayne Enterprises, Fox will also be filling in the role the late Alfred Pennyworth filled for The Dark Knight. Spoilers, Alfred's dead. Not in the pages of Doomsday Clock, he's not. Doomsday Clock. Yeah, Doomsday right. Clock. Alfred is actually very important. Yes. Yeah. Here's a quote. Lucius has also started to operate as Batman's operations person, filling the role that was once served by Alfred. This is Tinian in a, in a document he shared in his newsletter. This has put considerable stress on the old man who is not used to operating on three hours of sleep at night, but he believes in the mission of Batman and the new city that's growing beneath their feet. Fox's son, Luke is also being groomed for a major role in Batman. I wonder what that could possibly be. Uh, what do you think? Well, hmm, I bet he's going to be the new Riddler. While he currently, <laughs> uh, while he currently operates as Batwing, Lucius wants his son to take over the Alfred role for Batman. Eventually no mention of becoming the black Batman. He's going to be the black Batman. Uh, yada, yada, yada. I don't know if we need to read this. So we much. don't need to read all this. Uh, Lucius Fox's new role will result in, quote, new bat wings and Batmobiles for Batman, with Tinian planning to highlight a new Batman gadget or vehicle in every issue of his Batman run. Because we were just we were running out. Yeah, right. Uh, Tinian's run begins December 18th with a prelude in Batman 85. Oh, then all variants on shark repellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all different bat shark repellents. Uh, then it begins in full force with Batman 86. I mean, that makes sense to me. Lucius becoming the new Alfred. I get it. I don't have a problem with that. This just further reinforces our theory that Luke Fox is going to be Batman. Of course. Yeah. The, I think the biggest thing here is, look, if Doomsday Clock is part of the DCU. Yeah. And they're saying, yes, it is. Yes. It absolutely is. And Alfred, who is not dead. In the Doomsday Clock book, who is a major part of the Doomsday Clock book, which takes place in the future still. How are you going to sell this? Yeah. Uh, like, is it just a matter of like, oh, Alfred came back and he's fine. People, I mean, obviously, he's not going to be dead forever. People are asking these questions of DC's main writers and they're just like scrambling to be like, 
It fits. It all fits. And it's our job to make it fit. Scott the, Snyder said the bigger story it's our is our job to yeah, make it fit. <laughs> that is the bigger story. It's Scott Snyder coming out and saying like, yeah, we're going to make it work. Let me ask you a question. How come we're not hearing from Jeff Johns? We talked about this a couple of weeks what ago. What the hell is going on? I don't know. It's I don't so know. Weird. Like, are they talking to him? <laughs> you know, I'm starting to wonder if they're even sp- on speaking terms. Jeff Johns, tap three times on the wall if Do you they can hear us. Wait for a script to show up and they go, all right, great. Well, this fucks up everything we had going well, on. I mean, in Batman, I, I but- assume the script is in. The book comes out in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They- I don't. No, I mean, like, I don't have any problem with what's going on in the Baptist. No, but yeah, it doesn't jive. It. it just doesn't jive. That's just it. Yeah. That is my point. It's right. like we have a very serious problem. And it's compounded by the idea that DC has this plan and we don't know the whole plan, mm-hmm. but it's it has to do with this 5G stuff and the new timeline. And everyone, like, they're always saying, you got to trust us. You got to just keep follow along. It's building to something. It's building to something. Right. You, you don't know what it is yet, but you're going to know and it's going to happen. Okay. But then we get <laughs> stuff like Tom King had Bane snap Batman's neck. <laughs> Did nobody tell Jeff that was happening? Right. I No, Alfred's neck. Not bad. Not yeah. Bad. Yeah. Sorry, Alfred. Yeah. yeah. But like, didn't anybody tell Jeff Johns or did Jeff Johns do it to be like, fuck you. I had a different idea. I mean, they might be, it might and be this like is my idea. It might be just like Dr. Manhattan did you, a thing. You guys wanted to, you wanted me to do this thing and bring Watchmen in. And then midway through you got nervous. Well, guess what? I'm finishing my story. Deal with it. Yeah. But that, that, I mean, he can't hold them hostage. They don't have to publish anything. I suppose. But maybe they're just doing it to stay in Jeff John's good graces. I don't know. This For is, what? He's not doing anything. This is totally bizarre. Yeah, it is. And I don't know. Especially a name as big as Jeff Johns yeah. with DC. I can't think of a time in the 35 odd years I've been paying attention to comic books where a name this big got shunted kinda, into the background. Just kind of fell completely off the While working on a major, major storyline that is supposed to affect the entire universe. Right. <laughs> well, and ostensibly he's still working on the TV shows. He, like Stargirl starts up yeah. early next year. And maybe that's just it. Maybe he's so busy with that stuff that he's just like, sorry, we'll just get this out and sort of push it back. But you've already made it too big. It's not just that, like, he doesn't have any comic work. Right. It's like total radio silence. Yeah. When have you ever, well, like, when is a a comic site, like, even bothered to pick up the phone and interview the guy? Absolutely. Or, yeah, like, I'm sure people are trying. But yeah, I I just, it's weird, man. He's not returning calls. He's not talking about anything. I mean, this is not the story we were just discussing, but it is weird. It is the larger story. DC's got a communication issue. Yeah, it is definitely the larger story. We will watch as this unfolds. I have a feeling we're not going to know until years from now. And when we do look back, we're going to go, that is what was going on? (laughs) Like, oh my God. Jeff Johns (laughs) fucked Dan to deal with wife. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. news for the week but i'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while blackmailing jeff johns and threatening to sell nudie pics of him and didio's wife together to mr didio himself so hit us up on the thn forums big news section or better yet tune in to cover to cover live every saturday where we broadcast on our facebook page from 11 to noon central standard time it's more fun than getting a sunburn on your perineum with thanos and you control the content that actually happened it did happen. <laughs> this week, we're talking about your favorite media that you immediately had to see again. Be it a TV show or a movie, something that hit you so hard, you were like, play it again! So call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, you can leave us a message or you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Before we get into this week's reviews, let's introduce the cocktail of the week. This week, we are sipping on what's called a tequila flip. A flip is when you put the entire egg in a cocktail, not just the white, right? Makes it creamy, makes it lovely. So here's what we've got. We're calling it the Archie Meets the Punisher. And this is in honor of our wacky team-up week that we're experiencing right now. In a cocktail shaker with ice, 
you'll add one entire egg. You'll shake to whip said egg up, right? Stop. Then add two ounces of Reposado tequila. One ounce of ruby red grapefruit juice in this situation. <laughs> Joe can only find ruby red squirt. There was no juice in that entire establishment. It happens. <laughs> one ounce, half, pardon me, half an ounce of agave syrup or simple syrup, two dashes of bitters, and then half an ounce of sweet vermouth. Shika, shika, shika again. Pour into a glass. You won't need rocks because you want this nice foamy top. And if there's a little bit left, you can make a little Punisher skull in the pink. I tried. Did not come out well because I am not that kind of artist. Also, the foam is covering the entire top of it. What does Jughead say before he gets a burger or something? What was like? What's it? Nothing. Nothing? He does not have a catchphrase he before he eats a burger. And Archie's not going to catch Ar- No, not really. Okay. The Archie gang isn't big on catchphrases. Yeah, Excelsior. Excelsior. <laughs> what can you do? Oh, that's good. This is not strong. No, no, no. It just... <laughs> He went down the wrong pipe. Oh, that is okay. delicious. It is delicious. <laughs> now, with drinking hand, join us as we review eight more of this and last Wednesday's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Run. Ludicrous Speed, go! I hate this title. Philadelphia, number one from Image. Wow. <laughs> Wu Tang and American Saga writer Rodney Barnes comes to comics for a story that's one part gritty detective drama and one part Thirty Days of Night. When a small-town beat cop returns home to bury his father, he learns that Pops was wrapped up in a mystery with unexpected supernatural origins. Great script from Barnes with incredible art by Jason Sean Alexander, and a final page twist that has me on board for the entire series. Philadelphia number one was a creepy good time. Buy it. Okay. Ghost Rider 2099, number one from Marvel. Now, I never read the old Ghost Rider 2099, so I am not sure if Digital Version of Hell ruled by a digital Johnny Blaze, and I can tell you that taking the actual hell out of the Ghost Rider mythos and replacing it with computer hell is really stupid. Again, this may or may not be Ryder Ed Brisson's fault. It's just like regular hell, but it's not so bad if you have a poor internet connection. (laughs) (laughs) But it sure made me lose interest in the story with the quickness. Instead of the spirit of vengeance, our main character is killed while hacking and comes back in the body of a T-800 with a flaming head to seek computer justice against future computer hackers. Writing that sentence made me lose IQ points. <laughs> the story is full of bad future slang, predictable bad guys, and cyborg justice, complete with mediocre art, too. I am giving this a leave it. It's terrible. It sucked. Oh, and compared <laughs> to the original, like Chris Bacalo drew the original oh, Ghost Rider 2099. Yeah, it was full of like Crazy ideas. Yeah, no, this was awful. Touching evil number one from Sourcepoint Press. Ada Mansfield is a criminal lawyer who is given an extraordinary curse. Anyone she touches dies, but only if they're evil. Ada doesn't know who's evil until it's too late and doesn't want (laughs) to touch anybody. Yeah, she doesn't want to kill, but her power attracts those who would do anything to take it from her. Beardo Comics creator Dan Doherty's self-published supernatural tale is being given a new lease on life by Sourcepoint Press, which is the publishing home of occasional love slave T.D. Dubs. I was immediately drawn into Dan's cursed story, and his crisp pencils are wonderfully detailed, clear layouts, expressive characters. Touching Evil is a great indie comic that's definitely worth seeking out, and it's going to fly under the radar for a lot of retailers. So make sure you pre-order it from your local comic shop, it's a buy it. There you go. James Bond, number one from Dynamite. Midway through the story, I had to check the cover to see if I accidentally switched comics because James Bond is only in four pages of this comic. <laughs> the rest is a somewhat interesting story about an art insurance adjuster investigating the theft of a painting and its replacement with a fake. It's good enough smart thief detective story stuff, but not what I expect in a James Bond title. The art was really good at times, the second page features a spread with James leaping from a window, running across buildings in a very Will Eisner spirit style, but it got a little uneven as the story progressed. I really enjoyed the first volumes of the Bond relaunch at Dynamite, and this one might get better as it goes, but so far, I can only give the new Bond number one a skim it. Did you uh, see the trailer for the new Bond movie? I have not yet. No Time to Die? I know, I gotta do it. It uses the same font as the Love Boat. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Look it up. Star Trek Picard Countdown number one from IDW. Following the Star Trek colon Picard colon Countdown number one comma from IDW. (laughs) Following the events of Star Trek Nemesis and prior to his retirement to the family vineyard, Jean-Luc Picard spends most of his time trying to get the stubborn Romulans to accept Starfleet's help 
in evacuating their population before their sun goes supernova, which goes about as well as you'd expect. Writers Kirsten Bayer and the ever-faithful Mike Johnson try to make 20-plus pages of political banter into a compelling comic book. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is still pretty dry. Uh, Angel Hernandez's art is nice, recognizable likenesses without being distracting. However, no matter how many times they wrote the name of the ship he was on, my brain said, that's the Voyager, because it looks exactly like the Voyager. Really? Yes, exactly. I mean, that happens a lot. It's the classes sure, of starships. sure. sure. Though those starships be starships, bro. Starships be starships. Uh, also, those new Starfleet uniforms are pretty bad. Picard countdown might tide you over until the new series drops. If you're a hardcore Trek fan, otherwise, it's a pretty boring read. I'm giving it a skim. It. The Butcher of Paris, number one from Dark Horse, based on the true story of a serial killer in Nazi-occupied WWII France. Writer Stephanie Phillips. We. Yes. <laughs> Writer Stephanie Phillips' story sets up a compelling historical true crime story with Mars Attacks artist Dean Kotz on pencils. I didn't love Kotz's work on the Dynamite Mars Attacks books, but his jerky, angular style works very well here to create a historical feel and a look while introducing several characters. The story is mainly set up and a build for the last page reveal, but fans of Alan Moore's From Hell pick this one up because it looks like it's going to be a gory good time. I'm giving it a buy it. 20XX number one from Image. Is that because they couldn't call it 2099? Uh, no, no, I think it's because okay. it's in uh, it's in the not-so-distant future muddied timeline. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. It's like the Mega Man games. Yeah, 20, yeah, 20XX. Sure. In the not-so-distant future, a deadly virus leaves a tiny percentage of survivors with very specific telekinetic powers. These social pariahs can manipulate specific materials like metal, wood, water, and even flesh. So stuff stuff <laughs> it's read or die the anime or the manga crossed with avatar the last airbender with a splash of body horror all courtesy of co-creators lauren keely and jonathan luna keely's script doesn't show off too much of the main character's distinct personalities just yet but the world building is incredibly compelling luna's black and white manga inspired art is really great the last page is something right out of a junji ito book did i pronounce that right junji i think so yeah yeah 20XX wasn't really on my radar at all before today, but I really enjoyed it. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers TMNT number one from Boom. Aren't no, don't they all come from IDW? No, oh. Boom and IDW. Boom slash IDW. I don't know if Apocalyptopus is a real Power Ranger villain <laughs> or not, but the book opens with them fighting it, and I love that damn name. It's a great name. <laughs> Simone DeMeo's art is slick as hell and keeps the story kinetic and fast-paced. Star Trek and Power Rangers writer Ryan Parrott tells a great script with a solid dialogue and personality to all the characters. While this story picks up from storylines running in both monthly titles, I never felt lost no at way. all. No way. Me neither. On their own, both properties have been written with the utmost respect for fans and the characters, and Parrott maintains that extremely high quality here. I've never realized how much these characters actually have in common until they teamed up, but it's all there. They're both teens with incredible talents and responsibilities, dealing with incredibly powerful forces. This is how a great team-up book should be done. It was such a fun read. It was great, and I don't care about the Power Rangers at all. I fell off Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, too, and this made me want to read it This again. was great. It yeah. was really good. Kill Whitey Donovan, number one from Dark Horse. Or is it like, Kill Whitey? Donovan. No, it's Kill Whitey Okay, Donovan. got it. <laughs> After Anna Hoyt's sister commits suicide, she sets off for Atlanta to kill the man responsible for destroying her family, her fiancé, Jim Whitey Donovan. But she can't do it alone, so Anna enlists the help of Hattie Virgil, one of Donovan's slaves, and the two embark on a quest for freedom and revenge. I absolutely loved the story from writer Sidney Duncan, and I wish I could say the same about Natalie Barahona's art... I can definitely see the talent behind her work, but the style just didn't click with me. However, the coloring is dynamic and the layouts do a great job selling the script's sense of tension and dread. So while the art wasn't really my cup of tea, Kill Whitey Donovan number one still got its hooks in me. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay. Vampironica New Blood number one from Archie. Written by Frank Thierry and Michael Morrissey, this new Vampironica story builds on the storyline from the last series that revealed the idea that the Archie Horrorverse was a side reality of the, well, not the regular Archieverse, 
but one that's really, really similar to it. What? <laughs> and I have to say, it is the least interesting part of the story. Artist Audrey Mock's slick, thin line, almost manga-influenced line work is excellent. And Matthew Hems is a colorist whose name you will be hearing more of soon. I just can't get excited about this trans-dimensional storytelling. It's the exact opposite stuff I get upset about with DC and their multiple imprints. I know. I just wish Archie would keep this world separate and tell a good story. I'm giving it a skim it. I mean, no offense to anybody on this book, but you start off of uh, a concept with Greg Smallwood in charge, and then you give it to Frank Thierry. Well, I mean, you know, hey, like, look, Frank Thierry wrote the Jug, the Jughead book, Jughead the, the Hunger, Hunger, and we both really liked it. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I'm not I just, saying I was. I looked at it. I was like, oh, Van Veronica, and I was like, oh, yeah. Craig Smallwood. Yeah, Conan Serpent War number one from Marvel. Man, Serpent War number one is a real mixed bag. There's the start of an interesting story. An endlessly reincarnated warrior must summon a group of adventurers from across history to defeat the serpent god Set. And it starts off with some hauntingly beautiful artwork by Vanessa Del Rey. But then there's a sudden shift to Scott Eaton's bland and inconsistent superhero style. You know what? I don't like Scott Eaton. I, I just... I, I used just to. Don't. I used to. Yeah. It's tonal whiplash that takes me right out of the story, and that highlights how out of place Moon Knight feels. Yeah. Maybe this would have clicked better for me if Del Rey had drawn the whole thing, because I can see the potential in Jib's... <clears throat> Because I can see the potential in Jim Zub's story, but Eaton's art did not work for me at all. I'm giving Conan Serpent War number one a skim it because the story's got potential and parts of the art were beautiful. I'm giving it a skim it as well. I don't know if the story has as much potential as you're hoping it does. I thought it was fine. But it was yeah, fine. I mean, it was fine. Skim yeah. It. Space Riders, Vortex of Darkness, number one from Black Mask. Fans of true sci-fi grindhouse cinema, Mexican wrestling, psychedelic mushrooms, lo-fi black metal, and blacklight paintings need look no further. Space Riders is the best comic book ever made. No shit. Jack Kirby is rolling over in his grave, wishing his shit was this insane. The first installment of Space Riders was an outsider art glow-in-the-dark monster truck rally in space, and this new series is even more bonkers. If you love lasers, extreme violence, comic coloring that could induce a seizure, and the most macho space badass dialogue ever written, you need to buy two copies of this book, not just one. Buy it. Two uh, times. It was so good. Do the covers still look like black light? Oh, yeah. It's totally nuts. <laughs> Thor, the worthy one-shot from Marvel. Marvel's latest 80th anniversary one-shot reunites classic Thor creators Walt Simonson, Sal Buscema, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, and even letterer John Workman with the world of Asgard. The Sif and Beta Ray Bill tale by Simonson, Buscema, Workman, and penciler Mike Hawthorne is a forgettable novelty. I liked it. It's fine. I like it. <laughs> but, I just love Beta Ray Bill. Sure. Uh, but 12-year-old Joe Patrick loved the Thunderstrike story by DeFalco and Friends, and it fits seamlessly into their classic run. I liked it, too. Yeah. It was dumb, but I liked it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that that run, the Tom, the Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends run on Thor and yeah. then Thunderstrike, it's great. It's, it's really great. It is just stupid fun. Sure. I mean, like, there's nothing meaty about it. It's just dumb fun. Former Journey into Mystery writer Catherine Immonen returns to her take on Lady Sif for a great team-up with Jane Foster's Thor. Fantastic art on this story by Tom Riley, with a fun shout-out to everyone that's held Mjolnir, even Superman and Wonder Woman. We always say this about anthologies, but Thor the Worthy was more hit than miss for me, so I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, it was a good time. Conan 2099 one-shot from Marvel. This new group of 2099 one-shots have not been great. Nope. To say the least. No. And when I picked up Conan's 2099 issue, I didn't expect much. Joe and I have discussed Marvel's all-out Conan market share blitz, putting out four Conan books a month, and the sales are just not there, by the way, so watch for that to change soon. All that aside... Writer Jerry Duggan nailed this one. A Conan cursed with eternal life comes face to face with the one foe he can't behead. Climate change! <laughs> and from there, the Sumerian puts on a Nova Corps helmet and flies into space to die. This one had it all, and it might show up in my end of the year best issues. This was so great. This is, gonna buy it. this is what I liked about it. Uh, somebody in charge at Marvel was like, we got to get Conan into this 2099 event. Yeah. And the writer was like, no problem. Conan fucks off of Earth as soon as he can. <laughs> yeah. 
The end. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, I loved it. X-Men number three from Marvel. Look, we certainly never planned to review every issue of this series, but here we are. I was just as in love with X-Men number three as I was baffled by X-Men number two. Here, Hickman introduces the Horticulture, that's H-O-R-D-E, a group of elderly mad botanists Jesus. obsessed <laughs> with resetting the planet back to a more pure state, i.e. with about 7 billion fewer people. Sure. As you can imagine, the Krakoan shenanigans happening around the globe are throwing a wrench into their plans. These batty old broads are amazing, and they are my favorite villains of the year. <laughs> There's a page <laughs> where these women say something so horrendously, insultingly vile about Emma Frost that there's two panels of the X-Men just like <laughs> reacting mouth agape. I'm ready. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. Hickman gives us some great banter between Gene and Emma and Linnell Yu's art is wonderful as usual. He's been getting some criticism for his work here. I don't get it. I love it. It's just jerks are going to be jerks. No, it's not here. that. I just, I think it's not for everybody. Haters going to hate. Yeah. X-Men remains the hardest docs title to pin down, but I had a blast with this issue. I'm giving it a buy it. Action Comics number 1017 from DC. Invisible War Part 1 picks up where Event Leviathan left off, and Bendis' script is great as usual, packed with snarky humor, and a great intro that left me wondering, what did I miss before it snaps back and goes, oh, that was 24 hours in the future. Right, yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love what Bendis is doing with this story and the new incarnation of Lex Luthor. Now, Joe. No, hey, listen. We gotta we talk about John Romita Jr. Because I'm with you. <laughs> I love John Romita Jr., okay? And you have been an apologist of his for years now. Yes, I love him. But even you have to admit this This was book looked bad. bad. Yeah, it looked bad. This was the worst Gorilla Grodd I've ever seen. He Yeah, looked, Cheetah was terrible. Oh, my God. Yeah. Terrible. Yep, yeah, it was rough. I love J.R. Jr., and like I said, I have the utmost respect for what he's done for the comic art medium, but this was bad, and it might be the combination of him and his tag team partner and inker, Klaus Johnson, that's the problem. Yeah. Great know. story. Fantastic story. Really bad art. It was rough. Buy it for the story alone. It's weird because, and I mean, I did not like Superman Year One, but Danny Mickey inked him on Starman or on Superman Year One, mm-hmm. and it looked great. When other people ink him, he can still look good. Klaus Janssen is a legend, I, yeah. but not every inker works with every penciler. No. But even, okay, even the inking. Can we talk about Girl Grout's perfectly round head? Yeah, he had a you, basketball for a it head. It was bad. Yes, it was bad. terrible. I agree. Kroom. <laughs> that is your ludicrous speed round and kroom. I don't know why it's a question. Is the sound of Sky Tyrant trying to smash the mental projection of Carter Hall with his mace? As seen in the pages of Hawkman number 18, this onomatopoeia of the week comes courtesy of the comic book FX account on Twitter. If you haven't seen it, it's great. Okay. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week yourself or suggest a cocktail recipe, you can post it on any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You can also watch the ludicrous speed round reviews on our YouTube channel and live and on live our on Facebook, Facebook live every Wednesday when we record. They're usually up even before the show to help you, the discerning comic nerd, make an educated new comic book day buying decision. And hey, do you want to help stock the ziggurat bar? The ring-a-ding-ding. Click our donate button now and again and buy us a bottle of booze, why don't you? We'll even mention you in the cocktail of the week segment. You can even just buy us a drink. Here's five bucks. Go get yourself a shot. Yeah. Ah, and we'll scramble don't off the bar. Don't spend it all in one place, kid. <laughs> this week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, we are teaming up with Captain Carrot, Charlie Brown's best friend Linus, the biker mice from Mars, and Witchblade to plan our attack on the Terminator, Aliens, Predator, and Robocop. Joe, this could be our greatest challenge yet. But before we teach Linus to drive the Commissioner Gordon bunny-eared bat armor, why don't we tell these nerds about our must-read picks for next week? My pick for next week is Superman number 18 from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Ivan Rice. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. With Superman's family scattered across the galaxy, our hero must confront some of his greatest concerns about himself and his place in the galaxy. Legendary artist Ivan Rice joins writer Brian Michael Bendis as they introduce the biggest change in the Men of Steel's life ever. What does that mean? Uh, this is it. This is Superman revealing his secret identity to the universe. Oh, I thought he was coming out of the closet. He's also a, a gay man. <laughs> I'm Superman. And I'm gay. <laughs> Sorry, Lois. It happens. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, sorry. I'm super excited. Super excited to see where this goes. All right. My pick for next week is Red Mother. Number one from Boom is written by friend of the show, Jeremy Hahn, with art by not friend of the show, Danny Luckert. I'm sure he's really nice. I bet he's an asshole. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Jeremy Hahn returns to his The Beauty Roots as he teams with Danny Lucard, hot off Regression, for a new psychological horror series. Regression, I liked the first issue. It was really good. After losing her eye and the man she loves in a brutal mugging, Daisy McDonough is left trying to put the pieces of her life back together. Just when she begins to think she can heal, move on. She begins to see strange things through her new prosthetic eye, and the Red Mother sees her in return. I'm not going to read this. Continuing Boom Studios' stream of successes. How do you know? <laughs> There's a chance this falls on flat on its face. You don't know this. <laughs> I like Jeremy Hahn. I really like Luckert's art. And uh, Hahn has gotten really good at this intense psychological horror stuff. I'm in on this. I think it's going to be creepy. Yeah. The THN trade of the week goes to my heroes have always been junkies. It's a soft cover trade from image comics written by Ed Brubaker with art by Sean Phillips. It's 72 pages for 1299. You're just solicit. Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, the best-selling creators of criminal killer be killed. The fade out and fatal. <laughs> You know how hard it is to look at your script when you're trying to divert away from I the mean, mic? You could just lean back here. And you don't have to like stick your head up here. <laughs> they are presenting their first original graphic novel in paperback for the very first time. Teenage Ellie has always romanticized drug addicts, those tragic artistic souls drawn to needles and pills ever since the death of her junkie mother 10 years ago. But when Ellie lands in an upscale rehab clinic where nothing is as it appears to be, she'll find another more dangerous romance and discover how easily drugs and murder go hand in hand my heroes have always been junkies <laughs> it's a seductive coming of age story a pop and drug culture fueled tale of a young girl seeking darkness and what she finds there there are certain things that you can safely say no one has ever yelled on the planet <laughs> earth <laughs> yeah. and I guarantee no one has ever stood at the Grand Canyon and gone my heroes have <laughs> you don't know that. Uh, so this was named one of the best comic books and graphic novels of 2018 by both Newsweek and Thrillist. Uh, it, it came out at first in hardcover. It has not been in print for a while. So if you missed it, this is your chance. I did. Pick I it up. It, it cheap. Yeah. $12.99. That's crazy. For 72 pages. Hot damn. For an original graphic novel by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, yeah. get it done. These are just a few of the comics hitting the news shelves at your LCS next week. We want to hear about what your must-read picks are and how badly you whooped Linus's ass before you realize you should team up with the poor kid so we can fight somebody else. It's a classic misunderstanding. We kicked the shit out of that kid. I mean, he is a <laughs> kindergartner. Head to the DHN forums. Let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you would like to hear us review on the show. And don't forget to pre-order all your picks every damn week. Five, four, three, two, one. With both the Serpent War and Power Rangers TMNT hitting the stands this week, not to mention our own wacky shenanigans, it's certainly been a week for team-ups, but believe it or not, they get even weirder. What are our wacky shenanigans? Linus? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Get it together. Witchblade. Yeah. The biker mice from Mars. Right. <laughs> the cowboys of Mesa. They were not there. Oh. No. They were unavailable. No. <laughs> Busy guys. <laughs> cowboys of Mesa. <laughs> the cowboys at Mesa could like, not be reached. <laughs> figure it out yourself, asshole. <laughs> no one loves it when heroes come together to fight a shared enemy more than us. So now it's time for the official THN Top 5 Weird Comic Book Team-Ups Countdown. One, two, three, four, five. Breakdown, baby. Joe Patrick, since you were so kind as to introduce us, I'm going to go first, and my number five goes to Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Little spoiler alert here. This is the only title on this list 
that I am not roasting, okay? <laughs> now, back in 2015, I remember Joe telling me he was going to review this one on the show, and I had to see for myself just how dumb it was. Turns out, J- writer James Tinian the Four, real dumb, and artist Freddie Williams wrote a kick-ass team-up book. During a battle with Krang, those turtle boys get ported into the DCU's Gotham along with Splinter, Shredder, and several of his Foot Clan ninja cronies. The two groups are racing around Gotham, stealing parts from labs to get back to their own reality. When they get busted by, you guessed it. The Dark Knight. Freddie Williams was awesome on art as usual, and Tinian's script took the story very seriously, but still captured the turtles' voices perfectly. This was an unexpected gem, but a really weird team-up. Nonetheless, we have had two more yeah, since yeah, then. Yeah, and the third- And a line of figures. The third volume, the third volume came out this year, uh, and they got like amaglammed or something, like Bat- the Bat family and the TMT. Oh, I have not read that one. Amaglammed. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm- I'm two volumes behind, but I, that's what I saw. There's also a line of kick-ass figures that yeah, yeah. I need. They're so cool. Freddie Williams, the two, is a very talented he artist and very designer. very talented, yeah. yeah. Joe Patrick, your number five. Oh, boy. You're never going to believe what I've dug up. My number five is Jesus versus Zeus. What? In 1996. Time out. Is this a team-up or are they fighting? Uh, you know what? I went with team-ups or versus. Okay, see... You're, it's all good. Already dropped the ball. No, I didn't. Mine are all team ups. It's fine. Team it up. Team ups or versus. Team, team ups or versus. It's all the versus, same. It's a whole different category. Nah. In 1996, Rob Liefeld's Maximum Press published a crossover between two of oh. his most brilliant creations. God, I remember this piece of shit. Evangeline, a fallen angel based on Christian mythology, and Glory, an Amazon based on Greek religious mythology. The comic was called The Goddessy. Written by Robert Napton oh. from a plot by Liefeld and featuring art by Ed Bennis. I think Napton shot himself after that. Oh, no. Gosh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. The first issue opens <laughs> with... Walked into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> the first issue opens with the Greek gods stopping by Jesus's crucifixion to stir up some shit. <laughs> like, whoa, that looks like it sucks. Yeah. Woo, glad that's not me. <laughs> Jesus isn't about to let anyone talk smack about the human race, so he hops down and whips all of the lesser gods' asses. In true true Jesus form. Yes. Before going toe-to-toe with Zeus himself. They did some real Bible study. It's the New Testament, man. It's different. Pardon me. This is new. Like, you're Jewish. I understand you don't know (laughs) much about the New Testament. I I would read the Bible if it was this good. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out the whole thing was a dream prophesying a war. Yeah. Turns out the whole thing was a dream, prophesying a war between Olympus and heaven, and only Glory and Evangeline can stop prophesizing? it. Prophesizing? Prophesying. That's a word. Look it, it is? Up. Yes. Really? Yes. Okay. Spellcheck knew what it was. Okay. Turns out the whole thing was a dream, prophesying a war between Olympus and heaven, and only Glory and Evangeline can stop it before it destroys the universe. I just have this image of Jesus, like, on the cross, like, slowly raises his head and goes... What did you fucking say? <laughs> say that again to my face. Uh, unfortunately, the second issue of The Goddessy was never published. Oh. So we can probably assume the Maximum Universe got totally boned. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your number four? My number four goes to The Punisher and Eminem. This is a one shot from Marvel 2009. No shit. This happened. While Eminem was a dominating force in the late 90s and early 2000s rap scene, by 2009, his popularity had begun to fade a bit. So, what else does Shady do to promote his new album? He demands to star in a Punisher team-up comic, of course. Now, there was not an actual comic printing of the story, but it did run in XXL Magazine, which is a hip-hop magazine, and on Marvel.com. Hip-hop aficionados, writer Fred Van Lente and penciler Salvador LaRocca were put on the project, obviously, to capture Shady's voice as he and Frank team up to take down Barracuda. Apparently, Marvel wanted M to team up with Spidey or Wolvie, but he insisted on the Punisher for a street-level badass, guns a blazing storyline, which is weird, because I don't remember him shooting anyone in 8 Mile. <laughs> Whatever. I'm calling my shot here and saying... This was the beginning of LaRocca using digital tricks to insert famous, famous people's faces into his comics because it looks like Eminem modeled for this ridiculousness. It is 
bad. By the way, Eminem knows Barracuda by name in the story. Sure. For reasons, I'm sure. And he single-handedly takes out the Punisher. Not bad for a 5-8 beanpole. Of course, they realize it's a mistake and team up later to take Barracuda down, which again, Shady does single-handedly with a chainsaw. This was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. Barracuda's like, knees were weak. His palms were sweaty. <laughs> so bad. Something, something, something. Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> Joe Patrick, what's your number four? <laughs> My number four goes to a book that we talked about not too long ago on the show. It's Godzilla versus Charles Barkley. Again with the verses. Strange pairings. Wacky pairings. Gosh, Get it together. Team ups, bro. Okay. Look. All minor team ups. Fine. <laughs> Beginning live as a Nike commercial, 1993's Godzilla vs. Charles Barkley tells the tale of an embiggened Sir Charles taking on the atomic super lizard in a game of pickup basketball with the fate of California and Tokyo hanging in the balance. Just those two cities. Wait, just that state and that city. Well, they were playing for their home cities. California. Yeah. Is a state. Um, their home states, whatever. Yeah. Tokyo yeah. is a city. Yeah. Well, okay. You know. Yeah, no, I don't know. The issue was scripted by Mike Barron of Nexus fame with art by Jeff Butler and Keith Aiken. Godzilla lost the game, but he did get to appear in one of the best single comic panels of all time. Godzilla got busy. That's right. Wearing his special Nikes. That's right. Still to versus, not a team up. Anyway, my number three. We're not going to do this every time. Go, are they all versus? I've already told you. Did all yours do versus. I've already told you. Are they I went all with versus? wacky pairings wacky <laughs> meetings my number three team up goes to star trek and the x-men the one shot from marvel 1996 now i love me some star trek the same goes for my x-men but even with the creative team of scott lobdell and pencilers david finch mark silvestri anthony Wynn, and billy tan four different pencilers this one shot team up fell pretty flat the crew of the enterprise travels back in time the X-Men are in space because Professor X wanted to hook back up with the Shire Empress, Hottie Lalandra. The Enterprise bumps into Gladiator and he punches it, proving instantly that superheroes do not work in Star Trek. <laughs> Spock defeats Logan with a Vulcan nerve pinch. I mean, there's so much great shit going on here. Later on, the Next Generation crew would team up with the Generation X kids. And there was even a 1998 novel based on well, this shit. Was, there was also uh, there was a Star Trek the Next Generation X-Men comic. It was like a sequel. Yes. Cuz they the X-Men reference it it's like you're not the Captain Kirk. Yes. And they made a book about it called Planet X. Mm. A whole book. Here's a solicit for Planet X. On the planet Zahaldia, ordinary men and women are mutating into bizarre creatures with extraordinary powers. But is this momentous evolutionary leap or an unparalleled Catastrophe! The very fabric of Zahaldian society is threatened as fear and prejudice divide the transformed from their own kin. What does that remind you of? Mm. Dispatched to cope with the growing crisis, Captain Picard and the crew of the Starship Enterprise receive some unexpected visitors from another reality in a form of the group of mutant heroes known as the Uncanny X-Men trademark. Storm, the <laughs> leader of the X-Men, offers their help in resolving a situation that is agonizingly similar to the human mutant conflicts of their own time and space. Apparently Captain Luke, Captain Jean Luke falls for Ororo. They make out in the book. Hey, and later in real life, Patrick Stewart goes on to play Professor X in the X-Men movies and the snake eats its own Where tail. He makes out with Halle Berry. <laughs> yes. uh, who wrote the book? I don't know. Mm. No, like nobody that's still working. I hope I, I think that I think that the comic, the sequel comic, uh, Next Generation X-Men was better than the first one. I think, I want to say Peter David probably wrote it. Uh, and Carrie Nord did the art. Michael Jan Friedman wrote oh, your book. He's a big time Star Trek uh, yeah. novel writer. So there you go. And I will say on Amazon, book, four and a half stars. You make fun. Peeps be loving it. I don't know. Maybe we should read this. <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> What's your number three? Who's fighting who in your number three, Joe? <laughs> Shut up. Shut <laughs> up. Just saying. Uh, my number three goes to Aunt May and Galactus. Oh, boy. This unlikely meeting occurs in Marvel Team-Up number 137 by Mike Carlin and Greg LaRock. The issue came out during Marvel's infamous Assistant Editors Month, where all their books were put out under the premise that the assistant editors were in charge. I remember this. So each book tried to do something wacky or different. 
feeling weak and watching his herald Nova, not that Nova, die due to his lack of energy, Galactus travels to Earth and asks Reed Richards, to ask Reed Richards for help. When Reed can't be found, Galactus finds Franklin at the circus with Mary Jane and May Parker. Sure. For reasons. Hang it. I'm know. sure there's a reason why he's They're with babysitting. Them. Yeah. Uh, Galactus decides to use Franklin Richards as his new herald, but Frank apparently uses his power to transfer the power cosmic to Aunt May, and she becomes Golden Oldie, Herald of Galactus. <laughs> that is the name she chooses. Yeah. <laughs> Franklin finds out that, no joke, Twinkies can sate Galactus's hunger. So May Parker collects all the Twinkies on Earth and brings them to Galactus. I'm going to say there's some product placement going uh, on here. But he still has not had enough, and May has to travel the galaxy until she finds a Twinkie planet. Yeah. And Galactus devours it. Then May abandons Galactus and comes back to Earth. Soon, Peter Parker wakes up and learns that it was all a dream. Then Marvel's Danny Fingeroth wakes up and learns that that was all a dream. Then Jim Shooter wakes up and learns that that was all a dream. Then Stan Lee wakes up and you get the idea. It's sure. pretty funny. Like, Got it. Yeah. Uh, then yeah. Stan and, and Jim go into the assistant editor's office and murder them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Beat it was just like, like this ludicrous idea where Aunt May becomes a power, a cosmically powered superhero. It's really stupid. Stupid. What do we got for number two? My number two goes to that time that Superman teamed up with Don Rickles in the pages of Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, numbers 139 and number 141. Stay with me here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, knew, I knew it was this a two-parter. Back in 1971, Superman has teamed up with all kinds of famous people, but my personal favorite was when Golden Age Hollywood insult comic Don Rickles showed up to help Supes fight off an alien menace as his superhero alter ego, Goody Rickles. Jack Kirby was writing and drawing the title at the time and called Goody, quote, a sweet, lovable soul whose dunderheaded antics inadvertently helped defeat space aliens. Sort of like uh, Inspector Gadget. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. In true Superman's pal fashion, of course, Rickles was a huge asshole to Superman. It was Kirby's then assistants, Mark Evanier and Steve Sherman, that came up with the idea because they were huge Rickles fans. This is Mark Evanier from a 1997. San Diego Comic-Con panel talking. Steve and I at the time were enormous fans of Don Rickles, like many people our age. We all went around doing Rickles, insulting each other. Rickles used to say, I never picked on a little guy. I only pick on big guys. Somehow, this gave us the idea that we should have Don Rickles make a cameo appearance in Jimmy Olsen to insult Superman. It was going to be like a three-panel thing. So we route out a couple pages of Don Rickles' insults. One of them was, hey, big boy, where are you from? And Superman says, I'm from the planet Krypton. And Rickles says, I got jokes for 8 million nationalities, and I got to run into a hockey puck from Krypton? Which might be racist. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So we took these out to Jack. Jack was a big fan of Rickles, and he says, that's great. That's terrific. And of course, he used none of it. He said, we got to get permission from Don Rickles for this. So Steve contacted Rickles' publicist. They gave us the permission to have Don Rickles do a cameo. Then Jack tells DC Comics and Carmen Infantino about it. And Infantino thinks, this is great. This is something promotable. It's got to be a two-issue story arc. So instead of us writing two pages, it's now Jack writing two issues. You're saying, Matt, why uh, was there 139, 141? Because issue 140 was already scheduled to be a giant-sized reprint, so the story had to continue in 141. These things happened back then. It was the 70s. Like No one was even paying attention. Yeah. So- <laughs> Uh, yes, I remember these covers very vividly. Yeah. They had actual photo art yes. of Rickles on the cover, um, and they were like so sure. Well, it was Goody Rickles holding up a picture of the actual Don Rickles. Saying, well, that's like, on the first one. Yeah, and he's like, and then nobody the, knows, it's me! And then on <laughs> yeah. the second one, there's like a circle with Rickles' face in it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and they were, they were like so sold on this idea that the cover blurb on one of them, probably I think it was the second one, said, don't ask, just buy it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think you could give like an honorable mention to Silver Age Superman and anybody. Yeah, because he was like Jerry Lewis. Oh, yeah. He was in they Jerry Lewis. Um, the issue of Jerry Lewis, he was in uh, a, a criminal actually stumbled across uh, Jerry Lewis, who for some reason was in a Superman costume for an event or whatever. And he actually thought that Jerry Lewis was the real Superman. They look exactly like, the same. 
I've done it. I've uncovered Superman's secret identity. It's Jerry Lewis. It's Jerry it's Lewis. It's racist, funny man, Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> comics were wild back then, man. What is your number two, Joe Patrick? Uh, my number two is Spider-Man and the Not Ready for Primetime Players. Oh, uh, yeah. Written by Chris Claremont with art by Nebraska's own Bob Hall. Marvel team up 74 sees Peter Parker take Mary Jane to a taping of Saturday Night Live, which was then in its early heyday. After John Belushi mistakenly receives a ring meant for the Silver Samurai, the classic X-Men villain himself pops in to reclaim the relic. Spidey takes on the threat with the help of the not-ready-for-primetime players, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Gene Curtin, Garrett Morris, Bill Murray, Lorraine Newman, and Gilda Radner. And who happens to be hosting this episode of SNL? None other than Stan the Man Lee. Of course. Yeah. Uh, this, he hosted like 15 times. Yeah. Uh, this issue has one of my favorite bits of cover dialogue ever. Oh, yeah. Belushi, no! no that no. samurai's for real! He's, and Belushi is dressed like samurai delicatessen. Yeah. <laughs> Belushi speaking in <laughs> yeah. Japanese. Like racist fake Japanese. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's totally ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. And this is not the only time Marvel was like, let's put some grown-up tv stars oh, in yeah. our children's comic books sure for funsies uh one of the assistant editors month uh, issues the avengers meet david letterman yeah that was the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> it's down to this map bomb all right my number one with a bullet goes to fallen angels from marvel 1987 this is an eight issue limited series with a couple new mutants sunspot and warlock banshee's daughter siren bad guy the vanisher his lackey, Chance, a South Korean girl that ran away from her abusive church. Boom Boom. Jamie Madrax, the multiple man. Sort of. Sort of. Ariel, not Kitty Pride, but an alien mutant teleporter from the planet Coconut Grove. Shit you not. Yeah. <laughs> Gomi, a cyborg with two cyborg psychic lobsters named Bill and Don. And just for good measure, Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur. Right. Devil Dinosaur steps on Don and kills him. Yes. <laughs> So Sunspot accidentally injures Cannonball during a soccer game, and he's so upset that he leaves the New Mutants wow. to live on the streets with Warlock, where they meet up with the Vanisher, who has set up a group of pickpockets yeah, like, right uh, out of Oliver like Twist. Fagan, yeah. Yeah, full on. Yeah, yeah. But mutant style, baby. Most of the series is Bobby, Sunspot, feeling guilty for hitting Sam, and Warlock consoling him. Ariel is running from the church and coconut grove aliens who want to cut her up. Siren and Jamie Madrox are dating, but it turns out to be a renegade multiple of Jamie. And I have no memory whatsoever why Moonboy and Devil Dino were there, but they were. In the end, Sunspot and Warlock go back to the New Mutants and leave the team to never be seen again, even though writer Joe Duffy did plan a sequel. In fact, two issues were completed yes. and never published. Connie Doran was going to be the artist. I was so into this at the time because I had a monthly subscription to New Mutants. And like in the back of the one where Bobby was like leaving, it was like, watch for Bobby and Warlock's Adventures and Fallen Angels. And I was like, fuck, man, I'm going to the quick shop. Steal that right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they actually made a big deal of uh, Bobby's departure, uh, Bobby and Warlock's departure from New Mutants. Oh, yeah. And Boom all Boom's, this was tied in. Boom Boom's departure from, from X Factor. Uh, X Factor. Yeah. Uh, because they left after. Well, they left at they left at whatever point, and then there was like a five issue gap, and then they were all back in place in time for um Follow the Mutants or uh, uh Follow the Mutants. Whichever one first had Cameron Hodge in it. That was Follow the Mutants. Well, cause he could, then he comes back in uh, the extinction agenda, but that was in the nineties. Yeah. That was much later. So it's, it would have been following. I think it was follow the mutants. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, but like it was all tied into those titles. Oh yeah. Um, it was important stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, the second volume was going to focus more on the new characters plus moon boy for reasons. Like, sure. But what the fuck? What is this comic? <laughs> Why was moon boy there? <laughs> I still don't know. I hope it's on the Marvel unlimited app. I'm going to look at it. Oh boy. I doubt I it is though. Doubt it is. <laughs> Joe Patrick, number one. Let's All right. Hear. Hey, my number one goes to the aforementioned Archie and the Punisher. Tasked by the government to capture Red, a gangster that just happens to look exactly like Archie. It's just like this Jerry Lewis Superman yeah. thing. Uh, now that shit happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> now that's capture, not murder. This right. is an Archie comic. Right. 
The Punisher terrorizes Archie and the Riverdale gang before realizing his mistake and tracking down the criminal with the help of Archie's friends. That's what the Punisher does. He goes out and he captures people. Yeah. He's the capture. For the government. Yeah. The government's like, hey, Punisher, Mm -hmm. capture some people for us. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, The comic ended by teasing a Wolverine Jughead crossover, which we're all still holding our breaths for. Definitely. Uh, This 1994 one-shot was created by a team of absolute comic legends. Batten Lash, Stan Goldberg, John Buscema, and Tom Palmer. God, that's terrible. Two versions of the issue were released, one by Archie and one by Marvel. Archie Comics released Archie Meets the Punisher with a standard cover by Goldberg for $2.95. Marvel released The Punisher Meets Archie for $3.95. Now, why is it a dollar more? Though both versions featured the same ad-free 48-page story, the Marvel version had a few more bells and whistles, like a die-cut cover by Bushima, homaging Frank's first appearance in The Amazing Spider-Man number 129, pencil art from the Archie cover, and a bonus pinup. So you got a little bit more bang for your buck. Speculator time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much that book's worth now. Um, less than three ninety five. Yeah, I bet it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember when this came out. Like, I was, I was still getting my stuff off of uh magazine racks at like Walmart in a small town Iowa when I was in high school. Uh, and I was just like, "What did they do? What have they done?" And it's such a bizarre artifact because all of the Archie art is done by Goldberg, and inserted into the art is John Buscema drawing the Punisher. So in on every page, every time you see the Punisher, he looks like the real Punisher is uh, standing in this cartoon yeah, world. I remember. Uh, I totally and, remember. And red looks like Archie, except he's got like angry eyebrows and buck teeth. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. It's just totally ridiculous. I love it so much. It's my number one wacky team up. The most expensive one I can find is both mint condition. Thirteen ninety five. <laughs> like, hey, that's more than I thought. Yeah, right. That's for both. Otherwise, you can buy one for three forty nine, or you can get it in nine point six CGC condition. Some jackass sent this into CGC for forty nine ninety nine, for which does not cover the cost of your CGC. <laughs> well, it might, but yeah, it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. It did back in the day. Not anymore. <laughs> Excelsior! That is it for THN 553. We've already had some heavy casualties in the war on Xmas opening salvo. Joe, why run triage for the incoming wounded mole men? Why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? This week's question was submitted by Jimmy Randall via the THN forums. Holy hole in a donut, you guys. The Mandalorian. 10 out of 10. Oh, boy. He loved it. I watched it myself. He said, who boy? He said, who boy? I watched it myself, waited for the wife to finish The Bachelorette. Then we both watched it again together. So here's my question. What comic book or show or movie did you experience and then instantly want to experience again? What was so good to you that it deserved an immediate second go straight away? Bonus points if you experienced it for the second time with someone you love. What if nobody loves you? Well, then you don't get the bonus points. Then what? Uh, guys, we're always looking for question of the week suggestions, so please send them to me uh, through the email, through the forums, Twitter, Facebook. I don't care. Just Do it. Send them to me. Do it. If you're new to this show and you're thinking about hiring the Punisher to come capture us rather than listen to any more, the good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com, but hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Bo Conroy, who sounds like he's a rodeo riding, roping ruffian. You know what I mean? Old yeah. boy, Cowboy Conroy. Bo Conroy. I, that's a name I have never met a steer he couldn't tame. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want everybody to know that uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths starts on Sunday. Uh, so if I'm not in any emotional shape to record next week's show, I apologize. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Jesse Kiefer and the guys at the Grawlicks podcast on the eve of their 100th episode. 100. Give me a break. Come on. That's that's adorable. It's 100 in quotes because they're always putting out, like, sideshows and pre-shows and after shows. (laughs) They Uh, actually do a lot more work. It's it's like, it's Marvel math, but whatever. Word to you guys. Congrats on your milestone. Keep up the great work, and thanks for being a friend of the show. Your retailer might just give your aunt the power cosmic and have her turn your entire pile into the complete run of the Cowboys of Moo Mesa. 
This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off, y'all.